0: Our Old Testament Scripture reading is a responsive reading taken from Psalm chapter 29, verses 2 through 9. Hear the word of the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters the voice of the lord is powerful the voice of the lord is full of majesty the voice of the lord breaks the seas the lord breaks the of Lebanon the voice of the lord flashes forth flames of fire The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bare. The New Testament reading from John chapter 11, verses 38 through 44. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, "'Take away the stone.' Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, "'Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days.' Jesus said to her, "'Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God?' So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, "'Father,' Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. If you're visiting, we have been in the 11th chapter the two previous weeks, and we stress, and I encourage you to read chapters 11 and 12 because the, the story of Lazarus and his resurrection begins with Jesus not even in Bethany, begins with the first of chapter 11, continues through chapter 11. And this morning we come to Lazarus finally coming out of the tomb. But the story does not end there. It goes into chapter 12, and uh, we will get to that in the future. But so continue, continue, to look at chapters eleven and twelve, and the most chapter twelve is the the response to Lazarus being raised from the grave is just it's phenomenal. You you look at this and how the Pharisees handled it, how the leaders of Israel handled it. You would say certainly not, but it's there. And so I encourage you to, days ahead, to continue to read in chapters 11 and 12. Again, those chapters form a powerful polemic, a powerful argument, a powerful apology for the deity of Christ, for the reality of the resurrection. So uh, we'll be in there for a couple of more Sundays. Next week, we're going to take a little detour. We'll talk about that next week. But we'll come back to this. But this morning, we're looking at the last part of chapter 11. Let's pray and ask the Father to teach us. Oh, Father, once more we've gathered as your priests, a congregation of priests, not just a minister that's a priest, not just church leaders that are priests, but You've called us all to be priests, a church of priests, a nation of priests, a royal priesthood. As priests, you call us to come before you, bringing the world around us, our children, our parents, our neighbors, the people with whom we work. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you've told us to come to the throne of grace as your priest, and Lay these people before you and pray for them and intercede for them, for that's what the priest does. And so, Father, we continue to do this week after week as we come to this point in our worship. We pray this morning, continue to pray for David Mattingly. Father, we pray that the doctors will see. Give them eyes to see exactly what is happening and to bring a remedy. Father, bring healing to David. We thank you, Father, for his very persistent, constant faith. We pray that, Father, you would continue. Not only give him strength physically, but give him strength spiritually, Father. We pray for the Schaefer family this morning, our Father. We thank you that we can rejoice in the face of death. We thank you that Joan is now home with you, and Father. We pray for our precious family that you would draw close to them. Draw them close to each other. Draw them close to you, Father. Wipe away the tears. May their joy in Christ that cannot be taken away. May that joy be a testimony, Father. May it be a consternation to Satan himself. We pray that you would bring your omnipotent comfort to bear with them. Bless Sally and Phil Halley. We thank you for their constant testimony to your grace, to your provision. We pray that you'll continue to heal Phil. We thank you for how you have blessed Tripp Thompson and brought remedy to him. We pray that, that Father, you would strengthen him physically and spiritually. We thank you for how you've answered prayer. We pray that you would give Trip long life yet upon this earth. We pray, Father, that you would bless him, bless those years with health, that he might be salt and light to the world around him. We pray for Molly Roberts, Father. We pray that you would heal this cancer. We pray for Kelly Fernandez. As she's going through cancer treatments. Strengthen her for those treatments. We pray, our Father, that you would heal her from this cancer. We pray, Father, for Sarah Lucas, Along with Molly and along with Kelly, Sarah's battled this cancer. And as she faces surgery in this month, we pray, we thank you for the healing that you've brought. And we pray that you would use this surgery to heal her and bring health. Bring health, Father. Now as we open your word, We need you, Father, to give us health spiritually from your Word, not only to strengthen our bodies physically, that's a daily prayer, Father, but we pray that as we worship, as we attend to your Word, we pray that you would strengthen us from the inside out, bring healing, spiritual healing in our lives John Sartell cannot speak, so that happens. No man that stands behind this desk can teach in such a way, can preach in such a way. But Father, we've heard your voice in this place before. And this morning, in our responsive reading, our Father, we read about the power of your voice. Well, we've experienced that power. We're not the same people that we were. And so we've come to this place again this morning, and we pray that we would hear in these next few minutes your voice in our hearts. We pray that you would teach us, Father, teach us, change us, maybe some of us for the very first time, change us, that we all might leave here in a few minutes with faith, with greater faith we might leave here knowing that you have spoken and we have heard the voice of God himself. So we pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. We look at this scene that's filled with drama. In the last few verses of John 11 And we see Jesus and death do battle in a graveyard in Bethany. What's this book? How do you answer that question? What is this book? Most of us would answer it's the written Word of God. And all of us, whether we believe it is the Word of God or not, we're forced to say it claims to be the Word of God. It's God speaking into our world, literally. That's what this is. That's what it claims. Well, what happens when God speaks into our world? That's what this book does. It speaks into Well, What happens? Well, wherever we are, Whatever we're doing, when we encounter this book, we're hearing God's voice. In the Old Testament, whether Israel was in Jerusalem or Egypt or Babylon, here came the prophets. And what did the prophets say? Thus saith the Lord. This is the voice of God, they were saying we have seen on two previous sundays that the 11th chapter of john is in the first part of chapter 11 is about jesus interaction with the disciples about lazarus who they discovered is deathly ill and the last part of the chapter is jesus interaction with this family in Bethany, two sisters and a brother. They were friends of Jesus and had sent him a message that Lazarus was ill. All through our study in John, we have seen in every chapter the claims that Jesus made to deity. It's on every page. We see it, and we understand that he is the very Word of God. That's how he's portrayed. He's the very Word of God. How does John start his gospel? That first Sunday as we looked, we read it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and what? And the Word was God, and then what we read? And the Word became flesh. So he's the very word of God. He's the very voice of God. So what was this voice of God doing in the story recorded in chapter 11? How did the voice of God respond in this interchange with the disciples about the sickness of Lazarus? How Did this voice of God respond with the two sisters? Well, first, as we talk about the voice of God, he was doing what the voice of God always does. He was making claims and instructing his disciples and instructing Martha and Mary. Now, stop and think about that for a moment. This was the omniscient, all-knowing voice of God instructing people whom He loved and who loved Him. By the time I was in college, I started keeping a list. I still have it today. A list of people that I know, personally know, that are known for their wisdom. Now, now they're not omniscient. They're not all-knowing. Only God is. But they're wiser than most, I've found to be, wiser than most people. And I've traveled across the country to speak to such people in times when I really needed sound counsel, sound advice, no, oh, Martha sent a message to Jesus, and she was saying, "Get here, quick! Lazarus' life is in danger." And she doesn't say it, but that's what she meant. Come and heal him. So here's Jesus. He arrives after, purposely, after we've looked at this, purposely after Lazarus died. And as he speaks to Martha, this was our subject last time, as he speaks to Martha, what's he doing? He's doing what God always does, what the voice of God always is. He makes claims, and he instructs. Go to, the, go to the verses on which we focused the last time we were together in this passage. Look at verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now, very simply, what was the voice of God doing there? What was Jesus doing? He was making claims and he was instructing, teaching. He taught her that, what did he say? Your brother will rise again. He taught her that, he said to her, I am the resurrection. That's gigantic claim. I'm the resurrection and the life. He said, whoever believes in me will never die. So here he is. He's not healing Lazarus. Lazarus. It's dead, physically dead. But he makes claims, and he instructs. What did, and this is not on your scripture sheet, but I hope that a good number of you are thinking about 2 Timothy 3.16. You know the verse. Many of you haven't memorized. All scripture is breathed out by God. All this, this is Scripture, all of this is breathed out by God. And it's profitable for what? Teaching, reproof, correction, and training. So, here's Jesus making claims and instructing. The omniscient voice of God does that all through Scripture. Remember when God revealed Himself to Moses? When Moses was on the back side of the world, a forgotten shepherd, and God comes to him in the scene of this burning bush that would not be consumed. And in Exodus 3, 6 we read, And he said, and God said, I am the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face. He was afraid to look at God. So, what was the voice of God doing there in the wilderness with Moses? Well, first, he made a claim Moses, I'm the God, you know, Abraham. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. That's his claim. And then what did he do? He instructed him to go to Egypt and lead Israel, lead his people out of Egypt what was he doing he made claims and instructed now Jesus claimed to be that same voice making claims to his identity and instructing all who heard him about how to live their lives look at the sermon on the mount what was he doing all through that sermon Look at Matthew five, twenty-one. there on your scripture sheet or in your Bibles. You have heard it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to the judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift to the altar and there, remember, your brother has something against you, leave your gift there. Go be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. What was the voice of God doing on the mountain? He was teaching. He said, but he also was made a claim there. Did you see it? He said, You have heard, he's talking to the crowd, he said, you have heard it was said, you shall not murder. Jesus was quoting what God told Israel at Sinai. And then Jesus again makes a claim to deity. He said, you have heard it was said, do not do murder, but I say to you. Stop right there. That's another claim to deity. We we easily walk by. We don't see it. He was not contradicting what God said. He was explaining the depth of the teaching that God had given Israel. What was the voice of God doing? He was instructing the congregation. I love that about Scripture. It's a voice of God instructing us, instructing me, about who he is, about who I am. Instructing us about the world around us. It was, it was that voice that told us the first time. Do you remember when you began to realize that you were indeed a sinner? Do you realize when you began to understand what the incarnation was, what the cross was about, and your sin, your personal sin... The sewer of your sin was unloaded on Christ? So, question. How do we respond to this claiming, instructing voice of God? You know, anybody who has teenagers knows this. If you're a teenager, you know it. Teenagers do not like parents telling them what to do. When's the last time your teenager walked in the room and said, Mom, Dad, I need you to tell me what to do about this this evening? Don't do that. But you know what? We just isolate teens like that. But if you think about it, two-year-olds, don't like to do what their parents tell them to do. Husbands don't like wives telling them what to do. Wives don't like husbands telling them what to do. We don't like our friends telling us how to live. R.C. Sproul frequently said in his messages, it's easier to believe in God than it is to obey God. We want to be autonomous. That has always been our problem with God's Word, with God's voice. It's the voice of God telling us how to live our lives. And many of us say that we believe God, but then He starts telling us how to live. Our world today, the world out there around us, is apt to say the voice of God is antique. This this Bible, the scriptures are antique. They're relevant. Well, the trouble is that men and women were saying that say, very same thing three thousand years ago. Goes all the way back to Eden. Satan said to Eve, "Hath God said?" Really, Eve? Are you going to let God tell you what you can do and what you cannot do? So our first point this morning is that the voice of God teaches us by making claims and telling us how to live our lives. You say, John, I know this. Why are you belaboring this point? Let's let's move on. I'm belaboring this point. Because as we've already said, that is what Jesus was doing with Martha. He instructed and comforted her after her brother died by reminding her of the reality of the resurrection. And he made that audacious claim in verse 25. Martha, ah, imagine that. Here's Lazarus dead. Here's Martha saying, what is going on? Why weren't you here And Jesus starts saying, your brother will rise again. And he says, Martha, I am the resurrection. Not only the resurrection. Do you notice it's not just I am the resurrection. I am the life. He was saying, the resurrection doesn't happen without me. Life doesn't happen without me. And he closes this teaching by asking that penetrating question: Do you believe this? I, as I listened to this conversation, as I watched it, I, I wanted to be there so much. I wanted to see Jesus look at her and say, "I am the resurrection." I would love to have heard the inflection in his voice or the movement of his hands, just to watch him see it. But then, when he said, do you believe this, Martha? You know, he he says this to me. He says this to you. Do you believe this? Do you believe I'm the resurrection of life? And Jesus was not asking Martha to give him a synagogue answer. Don't try giving him a Sunday school answer in this. Is this your faith? Have you bowed the knee to him and said, Yes, Jesus, I believe your claims. I believe you're the Son of God who took on flesh. I love you. I want to conform my life to your instruction so don't say that too quickly because there's a second question. First question is, do you believe this? Second question is this. Does your daily life at home, your daily life at work, your daily life on the golf course, does your daily life look like a life? That is following the directions of the voice of God. I lived with this all week long. Look at that question. So I have, to, I have to ask you. But there's a second aspect to the voice of God. voice of God also commands with omnipotent power. So he goes to the grave of Lazarus and has a stone removed. This would have been a stone that sealed a cave or a stone that sealed a room that had been cut out of a rock. And he goes, he says, let's go to the tomb. He goes to the tomb. And he says, roll away the stone, move the stone. And immediately, you just, if you realize this, if you're there on the scene, you just, you have to smile. Martha, who said, I'm sure, said, I believe you. Martha said, no, don't do that, Jesus. Don't do that. That's gross. He's been dead four days. There's an odor. That's what the ESV says. I like the King James Version better. And says, Martha said, he stinketh. He stinketh. Jesus was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, and she was worried about the odor. Now John was standing right there. apostle John probably, the disciples were with him. He was probably standing right there. He not only records what Jesus said, he records how he said it. It says, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Come forth. Why the loud voice? This was the Son of God. He could have whispered the words and Lazarus would have come out. Why the loud voice? Well, this was the command of the Almighty. The loud voice denoted authority, denoted command. In this case, an omnipotent command. This is not a teaching. It's not making a claim. The voice of God, the voice of Jesus is not making a claim here. The voice of Jesus is not teaching here. The voice of Jesus, the resurrection himself, is commanding an inanimate body to live. This command does not depend on Lazarus doing one thing. It does not depend on Lazarus exercising his faith. It does not depend on Lazarus somehow willing himself to live again. It only depends on the power of the speaker. It was a command of an omnipotent voice. The same voice that had been claiming and teaching, but now was commanding. And Lazarus had no choice in the matter. He had to live. It was like the voice of God in the first chapter of Genesis. God said, Let there be light. And there was light. There had to be light. Why? Because God commanded it. When God is speaking, making claims, and teaching in Scripture, His omniscient voice, His all knowing voice, His wise voice, people have an option. They can walk away. They can believe, they can disbelieve, they can obey, they can disobey. Look at Herod and Pilate and the Sanhedrin. They're all examples of that. They heard the very voice of God claiming and teaching, and what did they do? They crucified Him. God, in His patience and plan, allowed men to do the unthinkable. But when Jesus speaks... With omnipotent voice of command, there are no options. Animate and inanimate in his creation must conform to his command. What happened in the graveyard in Bethany? What happened when mighty death was confronted by Jesus? Lazarus was dead. Death held Lazarus, the body of Lazarus, held the body of Lazarus in what we would think would be an eternal grip, and Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out, and death lost its grip. Death was conquered right there. The voice of the Almighty was not teaching its people how to live. He was the Lord of the universe commanding his universe. Folks, now we're where we've been headed this whole time. This was a microcosm. Jesus meant it to be this. This was a microcosm of what will happen when Jesus returns. I've been wanting to read this. Those last two weeks we were in chapter 11. I've wanted to read this, and I've resisted. I could have read it the two previous weeks. I said, but no, I'm going to save it to this moment. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep, that you may not grieve. Don't grieve as others who do not have any hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep for this we declare to you by the word from the Lord now look at this that we who are alive are left to the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep for the Lord himself will descend from heaven What? with a cry of command he'll say it again come forth with the voice of the archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now their souls will return with him it says. He'll bring those with him that have gone on before but they're going to receive a resurrected body. The whole scene in Bethany will be repeated on a much larger scale, a worldwide scale. Jesus will enter the graveyards of the world with a loud Cry of command. Don't ask me what the voice of the archangel is. I'm, I don't know. Not sure. But I know this that cry of command from Jesus is without equal, it commands a universe. And every human being that has ever lived will conform to that command, the command of that voice on that day. C.S. Lewis spoke of that moment in his powerful work, Mere Christianity. Bear with me and read on your scripture sheet. It's the bottom of your scripture sheet. I put the quote there so that you could put it on your refrigerator or somewhere where you see it frequently. Lewis wrote this, speaking about the second coming and the voice of God. God will invade, but I wonder whether people who ask God to interfere openly and directly into our world quite realize what it would be like when He does. When that happens, it is the end of the world. When the author walks onto the stage the play's over, God is going to invade all right. But what is the good of saying, you're on His side then? When you see the whole natural universe melting away like a dream and something else, something that never entered your head to conceive, comes crashing in, something so beautiful to some of us and so terrible to others that none of us will have any choice left for this time. It will be God without disguise, something so overwhelming that it will strike either irresistible love or irresistible horror into every creature. It will be too late then to choose your side. There is no use saying you choose to lie down when it becomes impossible to stand up. That will not be the time for choosing. It will be the time when we discover which side we really have chosen, whether we've realized it before or not. Now today, this moment is our chance to choose the right side. God is holding back to give us that chance. It will not last forever. We must take it or leave it end quote. When Jesus shouts on that last day what happened at Bethany will happen the world over. John wrote about it the John who was there that day and saw Lazarus come out he wrote about it we studied it. I'm sure you remember the Sunday it was when we were looking at Revelation 6, verses 14 through 17. Look at it on your scripture sheet. This is our last scripture. The sky vanished like a scroll. He's describing what will happen on that day. The sky will vanish like a scroll that's being rolled up, and every mountain and island will be removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves. And among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of wrath has come, and who can stand? What was John saying in that sixth chapter of Revelation? What was he saying in that vision? He was seeing what would happen when Jesus returned, shouting with that omnipotent voice, We've discovered that some hate this resurrection. They want to hide from the one seated on the throne. But his voice has commanded their presence. Those last four words and who can stand? Who can resist? Who can refuse to participate? There's no refusal. There's nowhere to hide. This is what Jesus had in mind when he told Martha, Martha, I am the resurrection. He proved his claim by going to the grave of Lazarus. And if you're not a believer, you've got a problem. You really do. This was done. Hundreds and hundreds of people saw this, and they saw the evidence. In the next chapter, the leaders were going to kill Lazarus to get rid of him because he proved Jesus was who he said he was. This whole scene was pointing to the resurrection at the end of the history of this world. He was warning all of us the instructive words this morning. He would say, This is coming. It will happen. Everyone in this room, every one of us have heard the omniscient, that omniscient voice of God. We've heard it this Sunday. We've heard it previously. Some of us have heard it for 50 or 60 years. The omniscient voice of God making the claims and telling us how to live. None of us, I don't think there's a person here that can say, I haven't heard it. But one day, maybe next week, maybe a hundred years from now, we will hear the voice of God, and it will not be the omniscient voice of God making claims. It will be the voice of command to appear before you to make an accounting. There's no bail arrangement. You have no choice but to appear. You had a choice this morning whether you would come here or not. On that day, you won't have a choice. I hope, I hope that you're looking forward to that day. Because on that day, if you've listened to His instruction, if you've loved Him, you're going to be standing there in Jesus, clothed in His righteousness. And you'll be able to say, who can bring a charge against me? Not because I'm good, but because Jesus died. I hope when you read read this, Thinking about that day, you're saying, hallelujah, hallelujah. I can't wait. Amen.